Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. That's what we do. This week, The Merchant of Death by DJ McHale, the first book in the Pendragon series. This book was published in 2002. This is a book that was Madeline's, one of Madeline's favorite series. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I never actually finished it because... um, it it was when I went to college. I like didn't read very much in college at all, except you know for like class and stuff. Um, but up to that point, I think I got through like the sixth book. As always, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So mm-hmm. if you haven't read this one before or would like to uh, experience it again, go off and read it. Scamper away. So we will begin by breaking down the way the publisher chose to package and promote this book. We have Cute little Bobby. <laughs> yeah, we have a library edition um, of the hardcover. Uh, I think this is the original edition yes. by yeah. um, Simon & Schuster. Because all the original editions have the same artist mm-hmm. who did the cover yeah there's a very fun painting on the front um this art is by victor lee and the uh, I, I love that the hardcover has a collection of all of the covers for the series yeah. on the back so you can see how like progressively more bonkers the art gets yes. because like bobby gets older and the ways in which the artist conveys that are wild but he gets like more Manga-ish? Yeah, yeah. He gets like more bishonen as time Uh goes on. His hair gets like spikier and then he gets, yeah, more like pretty. It's very funny. In like a gaunt way. Yeah, we'll put a picture of all the covers up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. I love these covers. They're so much fun. Yeah, so on the front (laughs) we have Bobby looking very serious and hunted. His mouth is like... Set but he, in a little determined pout. But he also <laughs> looks appropriately so young. Because yeah, he's like <laughs> 14, like right? Yeah. Um, with like the little puffy kid eyes. And the cheeks. And a little His chubby round cheeks, face. Yeah. A little lock of hair spilling down. Clearly little Bobby's face is like sparking both of our like parental yeah. instinct. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, take care of him. Yeah. And he's in front of the subway station door the the flume um, that's labeled with a star that has a mysterious glow coming Mm -hmm. out from behind it it's radioactive Um, I do (laughs) I'm just going to say it right now because it's you know part of the cover because it has Pendragon huge across the top and then in tiny font book one the merchant of death why is this book called the merchant of death (laughs) because I genuinely don't know I think it's because of the weird little guy who Saint oh. Dane takes his personality yeah. because he's the one pushing the the tack. Yeah, what is his name? I can't remember. Um, Figgis. So Figgis. it's named the Merchant of Death after Figgis, the strange little man, like a little um, hobbit man. Like he's kind of gurgy-ish in sort of some ways, but more sort of evil. Gollum-ish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I guess we never meet the actual Figgis. Right. It's right. Figgis it's being always portrayed by the antagonist. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he could be throwing in some, some flair that maybe wasn't actually there. Okay. Thank you. That wraps that up. I understand why it's called <laughs> the Merchant of Death now. Death. Because at first I was like, was DJ McHale just wanting to give it like a cool name? <laughs> 
was like, whatever, the merchant of just death. Just like a, a kind of goth name. I don't know. Yeah. It worked. Death. Well enough. <laughs> and Pendragon is a really strong series name. Yes. So it makes sense yes. that that's massive because on the cover and it's like a merchant of death yeah <laughs> tiny script it is very funny the way they just shoved it down there um yeah so i enjoy this cover i think it's very um marketed toward boys like young boys very much um, so which we'll talk more about and i think talk the, about the book the book is written the yeah i think the audience is, is young, a, a young male it's mm-hmm. a really different book from pretty much everything we typically cover so this will be an interesting conversation i'm yeah. excited to get into yeah. it but first madeline is going to take us on a journey of our own through the action-packed plot so fast okay so bobby pendragon is 14 years old. He lives in a suburb of New York that seems kind of bougie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, he's like a popular guy. He is, he's smart. He is sport. He uh, has hot ladies in his life who are also 14. Let's re- remind <laughs> ourselves of that. <laughs> um, and the book starts out with his romantic interest, Courtney Chetwind, Showing up at his house. Such a good name. Yeah. yeah. Such a good name. I and I love Courtney. I really love the way Bobby describes her, too. Mm-hmm. Because, like, always smells faintly of roses. Yeah. And honestly, I love rose smell, which mm-hmm. I always Me have. Too. But I started, like, I have, like, a very gentle rose-scented spritzer, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I definitely thought of Courtney. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's why I integrated that into Essence my... Essence of Courtney Chetwin. Yes. Like, my scent profile. I like vanilla and rose. <laughs> Very nice. Sounds like a tasty pastry to me. I want my perfume to smell like I can eat it. Um, So Courtney Chetwin shows up at his house uh, and she, they like, they have this really cute little back and forth where they're both trying to get the other one to say that like they like them. Um, And uh, I think Courtney ends up saying it first and then they kiss and then while they're kissing, uh, like standing in the front door of his house, Bobby's uncle press. Uh, his like mysterious glam uncle. Yes. Very enigmatic. Like he, when we hear about him from Bobby in the past, like he's, he just sounds like a wandering wizard. Mm-hmm. Like he's always showing up in very strong crestomancy vibes. Yes. And sometimes he has a woman with him, um, who uh, Bobby thinks is African because she uh, has dark skin, but she's actually from a different territory, meaning different world mm-hmm. in this book, different world in a different plane of reality. Yeah, um, it's a little bit of a multiverse thing. I would say a full-on multiverse. Yeah, I guess like it's a limited multiverse because yeah. there's not that many territories. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's there's yeah, nine it's not of them. infinite, but it is a multiverse. Yes, yeah. Because they're versions of one another. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So while Courtney and Bobby are kissing, um, Uncle Press shows up and he's just like, Bobby, people need your help. Come with me. And Bobby's like, but when Uncle Press, the semifinals basketball game the is today. And I'm a, I'm, he's like a star player. And Uncle Press is just like, nope. 
come on. <laughs> so he goes with him. They get on a motorcycle, um, drive to the Bronx. Uh, Bobby is scared because he's a little suburb boy and he keeps talking about what a bad area of town it is. I know. Throughout <laughs> the book, they're always like, but that's a bad part of New York I City. Know. But, you know, he, he grew up in the suburbs in New York, so, like, that totally makes sense. Um, they get Yeah, they get to a subway station that's, like, totally shut down. Uh, Uncle Press leaves the motorcycle outside with the keys in the ignition um, and they go on the subway. Uh, and they're in there. There is a unhoused man in there um, who's just like chilling. It seems like he probably lives there or is sleeping there at least. And then a cop, confusingly dressed in khaki, shows up. So from that, I didn't remember that it was St. Dane, but at that point I was like, okay, something's wrong mm-hmm. because cops, yeah, like city cops don't wear khaki. Incorrect. Yeah. Um, unless he's like a state trooper yeah. <laughs> in the New York subway for some reason. Um, and uh, then uh, he, uh, yeah, St. Dane just like shoots the homeless dude, I think, or no, he makes, he like controls his mind so that he jumps onto the subway track. Yeah. Um, which is brutal because the dude is just like shouting, like, get out of here. Like, I'm, this is, you know, it's where he's living. Like, he's just telling them, like, leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> please leave. Um, so, yeah, then he dies. Um, and uh, it, Press has a gun and like they're St. Dane and him are fighting and like Press kind of hollers like that he's not a cop because he's wearing khaki, like bad job. You should have done your research better. Um and then uh, Bobby basically runs away. Uh, he tells him to like go find a door with a star on it in the in the subway. Mm-hmm. Go fly, my boy. <laughs> Bobby's like okay, so he runs. There's some like horrifying, vicious dogs mm-hmm. with yellow eyes um, that we find out later are like gate guardians called Quigs mm-hmm. because like Bobby gets to the door, it's a gate. And he hops, he goes in there. The quigs are still like, like following him. It's very tense. Um, And uh, Bobby yells Dendron and jumps into the flume, which is like the portal between worlds. Yeah, the portal between worlds and realities um, because press told him to yell Dendron. And he goes through the flume. The flume is like a really cool... uh, it's like a tunnel of light and you can see stars outside of it. If you've ever played um, Mario Kart 64, it makes me think of Rainbow Road, how <laughs> there's like those weird uh, neon mm-hmm. shapes in the sky mm-hmm. of like different characters. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of what it makes me think about. Um, and uh, he then comes out in Dendron. Uh, it, he, they come out like in the mountains. The gate is very remote um and at first bobby is just like whoa <laughs> what the heck is going on yeah. um and then press does show up uh eventually and they put on these like basically like early human clothes um mm-hmm. like furs and leather um and uh, they have a bobsled along with spears and a dog whistle. And press says that they've been left by an acolyte, which is basically people who like help the travelers and the travelers are people who jump through the flumes. Bobby and press are both travelers acolytes. Um, I think that Mark technically becomes an acolyte. Mm -hmm. Like that's what he is. Mm -hmm. Mark is Bobby's friend who along with Courtney are still back on second earth, which is our earth. 
And uh, Mark has been given a ring by uh, Press's uh, friend, the one who's from a different territory. Can I just interrupt quickly? Yes. The way this is all laid out is because we're changing perspectives throughout the book. So we're we're going... jumping back and forward in time a bit as well. Yeah, because time works differently in the world that Bobby is in versus where Mark and Courtney are. Bobby is sending his diary entries to Mark through the ring that Mark received from Uncle Press's friend. That's their way of communicating. So Mark and Courtney are following along with the journal entries and helping Bobby in the ways that they can. Yeah, and I I just kind of gloss over the part where Mark's like, what's happening? Because he, he and Courtney <clears throat> connect over it. He He's yeah. the one getting the journals, yeah. and then he's like, there's one person who can confirm if these are real or not, yeah, and it's Courtney because she's in them. Mm-hmm. Like if she says yes, this happened, then it's real. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, she and Mark become like a team, and Mark is basically an acolyte. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Bobby and Press have arrived in Gendera. They put the clothes on. They have a dog whistle uh, and a bobsled. Bobby and Press get in the bobsled and uh, start shooting down the mountain. Um, and there are like these rock looking things, uh, like these big brown blobs in the snow. And, uh, uh, we find out that those are quigs. Those are Dendron's quigs. And they're basically like massive saber tooth creatures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, scary. And the, there's 12 of them and they start running after the bobsled. So no bueno. We're, we're scared at this point. And Bobby immediately drops one of the spears. Um, so goodbye to that weapon. Uh, he does manage to get the other spear. He gives it to Press. So he uses the dog whistle and uh, it makes the quigs like break out. And since Press drops one with the spear, then they all stop to eat that one. <laughs> so they escape. Um, so Press knows what he's doing. Uh, then the sled crashes spectacularly. Everything is like thrown from it. Um, these knights in black armor approach who are one faction of like the people who live on this world. Uh, they are called Bedouin, I think. They say it Bedouin. Bedouin, yeah, but it's not on our planet. No, it's a different word. It's spelled differently. It just sounds the same as Bedouin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um... And Bobby is just kind of hiding while these knights are coming up to press, being like, who are you? Like, are you a spy? Mm-hmm. And press is like, I'm a, just a hunter. But they, they capture press and they take him. Um, and Bobby is like, well, <laughs> but shortly Osa, who is the woman who gave Mark the ring, who's been with press before, shows up uh, with her daughter, whose name is Lure. And they're both travelers from a different territory that mm-hmm. we have not encountered. I can't remember what it's called. We, they go there eventually in a later book. They also meet um, Alder, who is a Bedouin knight, and he uh, is a traveler. Did I say that? Yeah. So, well, so he is. Um, He's like incognito with them. Yeah. He's a secret agent. And he's one of the travelers of the um, territory. So but he's like kind of younger and in training the same way that Lore and Bobby are. Yeah, yeah. And he's, I like Alder a lot. Mm-hmm. He's, he's cute and sweet. Like he's just kind of like, yeah. he's trying to do the best he can. Yeah. <laughs> kind of hapless, yeah. I would say. Um, so we've got Alder, uh, Lure, and Bobby. Um, 
We've got the Bedouins and the Malago. And the Malago are the like working slash slave class. Mm -hmm. Like they are being forced to be miners in super dangerous conditions by the Bedouins. Um, they live in poverty. They live in extreme poverty. They don't have advanced technology of any kind. Even though the Bedouins live, they don't they have like electricity? Yeah, they have highly advanced technology. Yeah, so there's a not huge sharing. gulf in mm -hmm. um, between these two civilizations. And they're kept very separate. They're kept very separate. They like, there's a mining boss who's basically in charge of everyone. Um, and they are being, it's a classic control of the masses technique where you keep them so broken mm -hmm. that they don't have the energy to change their situation. To, and you to take, try. take all of the resources that they produce. Mm -hmm. And the boss also demands a certain amount of. Uh, material be mined each day or they will kill one of them yeah yeah it's it's gnarly um and we find out that the boss is saint dane mm -hmm. we find out that it's saint dane in d disguise the the bedouin he's like an advisor to the queen and he's like controlling everything um the reason saint dane is there St. Dane is going to each of the territories and trying to destabilize them to the point where they won't recover. Mm -hmm. The entire, uh, the multiverse is called Hala and St. Dane wants to kill it. He mm -hmm. wants to send Hala into the void. Yeah, he wants to create entropy and chaos. It reminds me a lot of the So You Want to Be a Wizard Yes, series. I thought that too. Yeah, yeah where he and also, entropy. also a lot of Madeline Langle's books too. Yes. Um, where it isn't as simple as good versus evil. It's order, not even order, but it's like harmony versus chaos. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so the travelers want to save the territories, put them on good paths to prosperity mm -hmm. and um you know the common good and saint dane saint dane is just trying to destabilize mm -hmm. everything to the point of like chaos and entropy yeah, yeah and there's also a butterfly effect sort of thing that goes on mm -hmm. where you only want to use the items that are available and the technologies that are available in that world that you're in or that can create chaos which makes a lot of sense yeah it, but here it's batteries that are going to lead to death <laughs> batteries. flashlight batteries yes um Okay, so when when they're going uh, into this like society, um, so they're like Bobby's getting filled in on everything that's going on with the Malago and the Bedouins. He's learning about like being a traveler. He's not happy, which like makes sense. He's a fourteen year old kid who like just found out about this, and yeah. now he's been like thrown into all this, and he's like. But the basketball game. I know, the game. <laughs> but then also, like, my parents. Like, everyone's going to be freaking out. Right. Ah. Um, lure. I'm watching people die. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of stressful stuff. Exactly. And Lure, um, who, again, Osa's daughter, they're both travelers, hates him at first because she sees him as, like, a supreme weakling because yeah. her... Um, society and culture is very warrior based. Mm -hmm. It seems kind of like Spartan mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. um, and so like this, this soft young boy who comes through from second and earth. And who's very self-absorbed in a way that is surprising to her, but for, you know, a 14 year old suburban kid is pretty Privileged typical. white kid. Yeah. 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 
and like, but he's very much like, why do I need to care about this? Mm-hmm. I need to just take care of myself. So it makes her really angry, and mm-hmm. you you totally see where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. Both of them, like if you know, that's a cool character dynamic. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate um, what Mikhail does with his characters, especially like as they grow success- successively through the books. Mm-hmm. So they're all together. Um, they're like, gotta rescue press. He's probably going to die yeah. soon. It's bad stuff. I think that Alder shows up and tells them that he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they arrive to the Malago place at first, I want to say that Figgis, who we, we think is Figgis, um, who is a Malago dude, is actually St. Dane in disguise, mm-hmm. which we, we find out later, not at this point. But he's, yeah, this kind of like golem type entity. I don't understand yeah, what's up with him? Yeah, and it, right. And you find out later that it is Saint Dane, but at first you're just like, "What but on he earth?" He was a real person, so. right? So Saint Dane must said, be I don't imitating. Think he like imbued all these quirks <laughs> just for fun. Like he right. must have been a weird dude. Yeah, Figgis seems a little bit um, like a character from Star Wars, and that yeah. he's like super eccentric, yeah. and he's like this weird merchant, yeah. and just like you know, kind of like a Jawa type mm-hmm. dude, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, like a fringe person. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely on the outskirts. Yeah, and and the first thing, like one of the things that Figgis says to Bobby is he's like, talk is the answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just starts dropping weird clues. About talk. Um, mm-hmm. And trying to get Bobby to buy things and sell things. Right. They're, they're learning about the Malago. Bobby sees the mines and is like, whoa, is bad. Bedouin knights uh, come for Bobby, um, like, you know, they've been sent by St. Dane basically because he knows what's going on, even if the, like, queen of the Bedouins is just kind of, like, doesn't... She doesn't know about travelers or anything. She's, no, she's very much a figurehead, and mm-hmm. St. Dane has ingratiated himself to an extent that she doesn't really have any control over what's going on, but she thinks she does. Yes, exactly. Bobby, Lure, and Osa, and Alder's, like, around or something. It's not super important in this part are running they're like running through this underground there's a river that they have to jump into after osa dies mm-hmm. she dies to protecting do- pr- bobby protecting bobby, bobby. bobby. <laughs> um which as you might imagine uh laura is not a big fan of um her mother dying to protect this kid that she hates <laughs> yeah. and she tries after osa dies she's like i'm sending you home like you can get out of here. I like you clearly don't want to be here. You're like you're a hindrance. Um, and Bobby is like you know pissed by that. Um, and it also he kind of is realizing too. Like Osa died to save mm. me. Like yeah. so, it's kind of that feeling of like maybe I do got to pay that forward. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, so Osa's gone. It's just three like novice travelers. Press is being held by the Bedouin. Um, and I think Alder shows up and tells them like they're going to kill him tomorrow. Um, and so Bobby comes up with a plan. So he was told when he first came into the territory, you can only use things that are in this territory. When they're changing into those clothes. Yeah. That's why Press is being Press like, no, you can't keep your boxers. Taking the garb <laughs> of the people that live there. Yeah. Um, and Bobby doesn't he's not intentionally going against that he's just like not thinking about it he doesn't realize how important it is yeah like he doesn't press, really remember it as as a key rule and i don't think press like impressed it on no. him enough how important it was he press just is not good as he's a not a great mentor no no 
Uh, yeah, I had written in my notes that he's the Morpheus we love to hate, but I think Morpheus <laughs> is actually a much better mentor than yes. Press. Yeah. Which is pretty incredible because Morpheus doesn't say much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, Bobby's doing the best he can and he's like, I don't know how to work with what's here. Let's go to Second Earth, mm-hmm. grab some stuff that's going to help me here. Um, which like by asking Mark and Courtney to get it for me. Yeah. So he asked Mark and Courtney to gather up the stuff. Um, they meet him at the subway, uh, the New York subway uh, gate. He takes the stuff, he gives them hugs and they're all just like, kind of like, whoa, <laughs> this is wild. Yeah. Um, Bobby gets the stuff. There's like some walkie talkies, um, another whistle because he lost the dog whistle. Um, just like various stuff. A flashlight. Yeah. Uh, tools. Useful tools. Tools and um, little pieces of technology that aren't available to him. Yes. Um, so A remote control car. Right. They storm the Bedouin castle. Uh, and they have... Secretly, though. They don't storm it. They sneak they into sneak, the Bedouin <laughs> They sneak castle. into the Bedouin castle um, yeah. with the help of Alder uh, with like a backpack full of the stuff. Um and uh, that's when Bobby sees the like ri- ridiculous luxuriousness of yeah. the Bedouin. Yeah. Um, in this really wild underground glass castle mm-hmm. that's in the mountain. Yeah. And there's also Novens there who we don't get much from except that they're like another. They're natives of another society territory. here and they don't really do much. They are described as pallid and taciturn. Anyways, so they're like <laughs> sneaking around the castle, mm-hmm. like uh, tricking the guards with the technology that Bobby brought. Mm-hmm. Like he sends a little race car yeah. down and like all of the Bedouin knights are just like, oh, <laughs> what is it? Which, yeah, makes sense. And then they cut a hole in a pipe to flood a part of the castle and distract everyone. Yes. Yeah. They're just they're generally using like some roguish mm-hmm. tricks uh, to get through. Um, and uh, they do get captured. Mm-hmm. Um, and After getting to where press should be. So they they get captured and and put in the same situation as press is in which is like a gladiatorial stadium mm-hmm. um and they they release quigs into it um bobby brought the whistle so they use that um there's like a big fight against the quigs uh and they're they're just like running around saint dane is there and it's like lots of action taking place um they managed to escape by running into the like quig stable mm-hmm. because there's a opening way up in the ceiling that the quigs can't escape out of, but they, they managed to get out and they, so they find out, um, that Figgis stole the flashlight from Bobby's bag at one point, um, and is, uh, using, so he's been selling talk or tack, remember, um, T-A-K and Bobby found, finds out that it is a like, pliable element basically that is explosive but it's very unstable Mm -hmm. and kind of difficult to use Mm -hmm. um and it turns out the malago are like there's a ton of it around all over the place under the ground um so they've been mining it and like trying to figure out how to use it to free them from the bedouins Mm -hmm. and like making explosive slingshot bullets with it Mm -hmm. basically and uh, they get the battery and the switch and uh, Figgis and uh, um, the mining chief, Relin, 
figure out how to uh, make a giant bomb using the tech. And so there's like a big battle, um, which I think like they go back after the gladiatorial stuff. Well, yeah, there's the whole conversation about like trying to convince Relin not to use the bomb Mm -hmm. and him saying we've been subjugated for so many years. It's like, I get it. Um, Like this is... We we can't because Bobby's basically being like nonviolent measures. Mm-hmm. He's like, we can't. There's nothing else we can do. Um, it has to be this way. Um, and then that leads to a plan that Bobby Press and Lauren Alder put together to try to thwart the bomb being set off because Relin is going to go take a load of the ore that they're supposed to mine because he says, oh, we found so much. We're so proud of it. We want to present it to the queen ourselves. But it's it's actually actually a a Trojan horse with the bomb inside. So they're going to be suicide bombers taking it into the castle. Yeah. And there's there's tons of people around because. And they have a force ready to then come in Mm -hmm. and fight after after that, like after the the destabilization. Um, so what the travelers end up doing, um, is, uh, they, they stop the bomb from going off. Like, so that doesn't happen. Relin's not pleased and like is continuing to try to set the bomb off while, like, while they're trying to keep him from mm-hmm. doing it. It's very intense. Um, and all the, the Bedouin and Novan people, Novans, uh, end up in a big field and then the Malago come over the crest with like their, you know, weapons and tack and everything. Um, Bobby and Lore get some of the quigs up. Um, and uh, so they uh, like run out and start killing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Uncle Press uses a spear um, to pin Relin and hurt him to keep him from uh, setting the bomb off. Um, and uh they use Tack to blow up one of the quigs who's like menacing them. And then Bobby and Lure, because the Tack is so pliable, they, uh, um, how do they get the water in? For, they like, they use a pipe or something. I can't remember how they get the water in, but they use a large force of water to just dissolve mm-hmm. the Tack. Yeah, so to it's dissolve like the bomb. no longer usable mm-hmm. in that state. But then it's time for the actual showdown. Well, and importantly, during this, Bobby sees a little tech ball and pops it into his pocket. Um, Figgis then, uh, like, he basically lures Bobby and Lure into the mines. um, Into the vein of Like, right near the castle. Mm -hmm. Like, and they find out that the castle is, like, built on a massive amount of talk. Mm Mm-hmm. Tuck, sorry. I don't know. Tuck is like, tuck, tuck, tuck means I know, like, I'm yes, 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 in Polish. Polish. Yeah. <laughs> both grew up with a lot of Polish. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, in the tack mine, they find a little figus skeleton and they're like, okay. And that's when they're like, yeah. the figus running around is St. Dane. Yeah. Um, uh, it seems like St. Dane like trapped figus in the mine. So uh, the real Figgis set like a bunch of traps in the mine and uh, actually, okay, St. Dean didn't trap Figgis in the mine. One of his own traps did. Um, and so now uh, St. Dane, uh, Bobby and Lure are all tra- or trapped in the mine together. Um, 
and they're like chasing each other around. It's scary. It's intense. And uh, Bobby takes the little ball of tack out of his pocket and he just chucks it at um, the massive tack supply. Like yeah, he at the ground. It on the wall. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so big boom, big boom. Uh, St. Dane escapes because he there's a gate down there with all of the tack, um, which is ruined by the explosion. But shortly before the explosion... He escapes through a flume. Yeah. He goes to Chloral, which is like an ocean world. It's the next one. It's a really cool book. And uh, he also sends back like a giant wave of water with a giant shark in it, who is a quig from Chloral, which is truly my worst nightmare. I'm very afraid of sharks. The bigger, the worse. Um, and uh, so that way Bobby can't follow after him mm-hmm. and the water hurts lure it like she falls unconscious. Um, okay. So they, they escape by uh, jumping in a mine cart and they like zoom the through. blast. P- propels right. Them. Yeah. The, the blast like shoots them out. Um, and they end up in the ocean. They escape through a ventilation shaft. Uh, and so Bobby gets them back to shore. He swims back, um, with Lure who can't swim when they get back to shore. They see that a lot of people made it cause Bobby's just kind of like, maybe everyone's dead now. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, um, the castle has fallen into the ocean and a lot of the Malago houses are destroyed as well. And the glaze mines, that's the ore that they've been mining, um, like in slavery, uh, are blown up. They're like they're not going to be accessible anymore, um, which turns out to be a really good thing, right? It's like the way I think about it is it's like in movies where there's aliens and like mm-hmm. various countries that are historical enemies join together against the common threat. Yeah. Um, so the common threat here is that all of their societies have been blown up. And they're like coming together because St. Dean is gone. Like he's not there pouring poison in the queen's ear or the Bedouins or like. Yeah, he's moved on. Yeah, he's, he's at, um, in chloral now. And they see this, this beautiful uh, just uniting of the, the two societies kind of happening in real time because mm-hmm. the queen and Relin the like leader of the Malago are sitting there talking to each other um, and like having an actual conversation. They've like connected with each other as people uh, like in who have the common goal of, you know, wanting to have lives and keep each other safe, which is really promising. Like that's super exciting um, because they uh, like, they're already talking about how to use their strengths like the Malago are really good farmers and builders. And then the Bedouin have like amazing feats of engineering that they've accomplished. So they're like, if we thread all this together, we can get a pretty good society going. Bobby goes back to second earth uh, with press. And <laughs> we know here's the dramatic irony. Uh, this entire time, Mark and Courtney discover pretty early on because they like go to Bobby's house to try to figure out what's going on. And it's gone. His house is gone. Um, the history of his family has been eradicated from mm-hmm. like most documents. Um, there's one police officer who gets that something weird is going on because he has a personal connection to Bobby's family. Like yes. his, uh, he knew one of his parents or his son mm-hmm. played 
sports. Right. With, played sport but with the, Bobby. The greater police force, like Courtney mm-hmm. and Mark try to recruit them and they basically just laugh them out. Yeah. Um, so Bobby comes back and he's like, I can't wait to see my parents and my dog. Yeah. <laughs> and they, Mark and Courtney are just like, okay, let's, you know, let's just take him there. Like he's going to have to see this for himself. Um, and Bobby's just, you know, to get there, Bobby's just like, uh, <laughs> all my stuff is gone. Um, and uh, press, family stuff. Yeah. Like press is like, it's very, I don't remember what goes on with that stuff. I don't remember if they even like still exist or not. Like press is just kind of like very enigmatic about he ju- it. He sort of just says your family's not here. Their purpose right has now. been served. Yeah. 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 Like, because like Bobby, because being that's the other really piece. Big deal. Um, like travelers, it, it reminded me, they have no home. Yeah. Well, and they're given like, people to be around them when they need it Mm -hmm. before they're ready to start stepping into their role. Yeah. Like Laura's mom, Osa wasn't actually her mom. Right. Um, She had a different family when she was younger. Uh It seemed like, um, and I mean, I've only read this first book, so I don't know, but my vibe that I got was like, they almost like weren't real people. That's kind of the vibe I get too. It kind of reminded me of the, um, Buffy season where she has a fake sister sister all of a sudden and it's she's just inserted into the narrative and everyone thinks she's always been there but she's actually the key yeah 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 it's kind of like that only in reverse I guess Mm -hmm. um so then Bobby's like okay I'm not keep traveling go back to my old life yeah I get that now um and so he's like, okay, I guess we're going to go to Chloral. Um, because again, like Chloral is another territory. It's like if St. Dane is going there, clearly he's going to try and mess things up um, mm-hmm. in order to destroy Hala or plunge Hala further into entropy. That's that's basically the end of the book uh, when it's like, okay, like, you know, mm-hmm. next next journey will be the next journey and we'll, we'll catch you on the flip. <laughs> Yeah, and Mark and Courtney have been established as the people who will be Bobby's, you know, fireside helpers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stay at home and send through what he needs. Yeah, and I definitely remember. And like witness him because a part of being a traveler is to record your journal entries. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's a very witness me. Yeah, which is like I need to keep a record to keep everything straight for one thing, but then also because that could be important in other missions and other territories. Yeah, because it is of massive uh, historical purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it's. Yeah, the foundations of reality are being built on their journey. So. I just, I just loved when there were segments where you know we're in these like high intensity, fast moving situations, but it's like now everyone has to sit down and write in their journals. I know, and they have to do their homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, diary writing as action sequence. Yeah, yeah, and that's. Like I said, that's about it. It kind of ends, and the next book, as far as I remember, like jumps immediately into the action mm-hmm. on Chloral. Like the books, yeah. the books continue to have like very fast-paced events, um, yeah. which is great for young readers. Yeah. It keeps you engaged. Yeah, yeah. So summary complete. Summary completed. Thank you for my service. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
Thank me for my stuff. <laughs> um, so old and new impressions. I'll go first. I don't think I've ever actually read this book before. I, I thought, would be surprised if I you I thought did. that there I had, books. but I think I just saw your books around so often, which is a situation displayed. that we've both had uh, with one another's childhood books. And I'm pretty sure that all of my copies are in those boxes of books mm. in mom's garage yeah. that I still really need to go through all that stuff and yeah. also see if my coin collection is in there because <laughs> I want to sell it. I'm an adult now. I need the money. <laughs> Forget nostalgia. I need cold, hard cash. And not in the form of coins. Well, money that I can spend instead of showing up at a store and being like, here's my pirate coin. My hoard. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and that makes sense because timing-wise, I mean, 2002, I was a freshman in high school, which was the beginning of my end of fantasy reading period. For a while, yeah. um, For a ways there. Um, And mine was at the beginning of college but just the cover of the book is so nostalgic to me um me too. seeing all of them on the back like it really takes me to uh, that earlier time and seeing these floating around seeing them in your room yeah. it's so cute that they all have this little boy on the cover being like yeah. pen dragon i can do it <laughs> um and i won't go into my new impressions because i'd love to hear your overall first and then we can kind of talk through what we both took away from this because like I said this is a really different book than what we typically cover and I'm curious about how young Madeline felt about the series it was a really safe place for me Um, I'm kind of surprised that I got past the first couple chapters because it like immediately you're like oh it's about like a popular it's about an insider athlete well liked which was so far away from anything I experienced in high school Um, I desperately struggled to connect with my peers so when Mark comes in it immediately imparts to the loser kid reading it that Bobby would be friends with you. Like you can connect with Bobby because he takes care of Mark. Mm -hmm. And uh, Courtney is also like really cool. Like she's very much like her own person. Like she plays sports with the boys at school. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and I thought Courtney was really refreshing because she didn't read like any kind of stock teen girl character. She's cool because of who she is. Yeah, she's really unique. Mm-hmm. She doesn't she doesn't come off straight up as just an athlete. She doesn't come up straight up off straight up as a popular girl she's um, or as like the hot girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets to be a unique character. And I was a little worried at first, um, just after the opening like kiss scene mm-hmm. where we're getting it from Bobby's perspective, um, which, wow, must have been really crazy for Courtney to read in the diary yeah. and realizing now <laughs> yeah. as he's just like, this was Courtney Chetwind. Yeah. I also have to say the audiobook is so, so funny. funny. Like, the narrator really goes for like the Courtney Chetwin, yeah, like felt, always smells faintly of roses. I felt like I was watching a late nineties after school yes. like kids show. Yes, um, it it was just so exaggerated and extreme, but like in a super funny way. Yeah, um, because I, as I've said on the pod before, I don't do well with audiobooks, but I've just been so busy lately that the only time They're I can read is when I go on my long 
don't let your brain boil over walks yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, this audiobook was, um, I just keep saying super funny, but yeah, check it out. Very <laughs> the, the one on Audible. Yeah. Um, so I always had that feeling from very early on in the books that like, and Courtney was really helpful for me too, um, because I like to think that I've become a little bit Courtney and that I have my own things that I'm good at, but I don't like go into any one box, which is like, you know, everyone needs to get to that point to be comfortable with yourself. I feel like, or at least a point that works for them where you feel comfortable being the individual that you are without worrying that it will keep you from being in group anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I really like that Courtney is so confident as well. Yeah. Um, She and Laura are really the most confident of the young characters and seeing the way that they move through the world and assert themselves is really Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, for like a male author writing books that are pretty clearly targeted at teenage boys, I really like appreciate young, young teen boys. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Preteen. Mm-hmm. I appreciate so much. Like, I didn't really think about this when I was young and reading them, but as an adult, I can be like, these are some pretty solid female characters. Yeah, for sure. Like, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I liked them as much as I, I liked them when I was younger. And Laura and uh, Courtney, are they stick around like there's lots more to um, discover about them. And they mm-hmm. like they get to interact with each other, too. And Laura and Bobby are officially one another's traveling partners yeah. at the end of the book mm-hmm. because they recognize that they each have strengths and weaknesses that complement one right. another well. Yeah, that's that's how Laura um, comes to respect Bobby because mm-hmm. she's like, OK, even though physically you're pretty useless in like a a warrior. I mean, he's like a young spry athlete, Mm -hmm. but he has no uh, fighting fighting training whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So, or tactical understanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but lure understands that like he brings some, some really good, like problem solving skills Mm -hmm. into the picture. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're a great team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, because they fill in each other's gaps. Um, and I, I love Mark so much. Um, I, uh, I don't know if I've... I imagine we get more Mark in the subsequent books because a lot of his characteriz- characterization in this book is really through the lens of Bobby mm-hmm. and it's like just trying to help Bobby and trying to understand what's going on. He, he grows much more yeah. as a person as the books continue. And um, I, I remember when I was he young... He has a smelly room. Too, we know that much. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> like he opens his drawer and there's this like horrible moldy cheese block and he's just like oh that's why it smells like death in here <laughs> also amazing that he's never acknowledged to himself that it smells bad in it's his room until there's in. a girl coming yeah. to his room and then he's immediately like oh god this, this is, is horrible yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah I, I appreciate it a lot um that courtney bonds with him mm-hmm. because like that was also like another way in which Courtney doesn't put herself in a box. Mm-hmm. Like she, she'd be friends with, you know, whoever yeah. she wants to be friends with. Yeah. Um, and I, when I was 14, I often ate lunch in the bathroom. Uh, I would go to a bathroom that was far away from the cafeteria. So it would be totally empty during lunchtime. And there was a handicap stall 
in like the far corner and you could sit in the corner in the handicapped stall. It was far away from the toilet and no one could see you under. So no one could see that there was a person sitting on the floor in the bathroom eating Bosco sticks by themselves. (laughs) Say what you will about Bosco sticks, but very portable. I've been thinking so much about them. We've talked a lot about Bosco sticks lately. Yeah. And I think we have on the podcast. They're, they're like these bread sticks that have, uh, oil and butter and Parmesan cheese on the outside and they're like baked. And then on the inside there is just the yummiest, mouthiest, uh, just mozzarella cheese avalanche. Just a tube of mozzarella. Ugh, yeah, I loved those. Those were like all I would eat in a day before I came home for dinner. So I really felt that kinship mm-hmm. with Mark. Um, And it also made me feel, because like there's a great deal of shame that comes with it if you feel like you have to hide during lunch. But I also was, I've always had sensory issues that I didn't even start realizing I had until I was an adult. Like I used to just think I was like weird and not good at being alive. Um, But then as I became adult, it became more like I've been in a lot of therapy, I'm on meds and... (laughs) Yeah, um, when you're a kid, it's hard to try to parse any of that out. Yeah, I mean, like you, the, you felt like you were really sensitive yeah. physically. Well, and so being in the cafeteria mm-hmm. was hard. Yeah. So yeah, I just I really appreciated that depiction of uh, like struggling to get by in high school, um, and like showing me that that was okay. That that like I wasn't, you know, the world's gremlin for like needing to do stuff like that um and it was really this whole series is a really good introduction to some really high concept Mm -hmm. sci-fi fantasy things Mm -hmm. that are presented in a way that's much easier for young people to they're accessible yeah um so that was important to me as well because I've continued to see those themes in a lot of different mm-hmm. places including like adventure time is yeah. like a place where I get a yeah. lot of high concept sci-fi fantasy themes from yeah. um and so I I appreciate that so much yeah amazing characters um and really cool uh story I usually really prefer fantasy to sci-fi but this has elements of both and uh, it's always worked well for me yeah, I I enjoyed this so much. It was so good to see Bobby and Mark and Courtney. Like it was it was like seeing some old friends. It's so interesting to me that um yeah, your young you was able to see Bobby as an ally so quickly because of Mark and that Mark like I love that you talked about Mark so much in your description yeah. of um what the book meant to you, what the series meant to you. And of course, you're looking at it through all of the books whereas I right. only yeah. have experience with one where Mark isn't that much in it that much in this book, yeah. Um, but but he is really a through line that is humanizing Bobby and is showing us that Bobby is more interesting and varied than he may come off if we're just getting his perspective alone. Exactly, where he does feel like an entitled, spoiled, privileged kid mm-hmm. um, who's ha- like had things pretty easy, honestly. And the book is really good at showing him growing through that and mm-hmm. shedding it at like through his experiences. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and I like that the other characters like Lore and Press are also really hard on him. Um, I like that he's not coddled. And there was a moment that I really appreciated where I should have marked it, but because Bobby is talking about the Malaco versus the Bedouins and he's talking about their access to technology and stuff. And Laura is basically like, you think that they don't deserve to have the same thing or that they're not like intelligent enough to understand how to use mm -hmm. it. Um, because Bobby does like dance dangerously close to that line at different points throughout it. A um, colonizer mindset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And also along the lines of, and this is something we ran into a lot in trickster's choice. Um, so check that very long episode out if you want to hear us unpack some of this in more detail. But now what stands <laughs> unite? Yeah, the mindset of like, but we you shouldn't create violence and you shouldn't, you know, fight your oppressor like you should. You know, maybe it's better for things to remain as they are so that there isn't further unrest, even though your people have been enslaved and murdered for so many years for for anyone who has uh paid attention to like civil rights history in the united states um it's a very familiar mindset yeah. um from like the opponents of the civil rights uh, movement yeah. who were like it weren't like yeah like punish them keep them down who who weren't like super racist mm -hmm. but still had the racism of being like oh well they should just chill out why are they you know let's just keep everything cool like why are they making a mess in the streets you know of that like let's let's just you know calm down calm down and we'll just keep doing things the way we've been doing it bobby had some of that attitude in the book but mm -hmm. um i think that I, I do think that dj McHale handled it pretty well mm -hmm. um in exploring the desperation that the Malago and Relin in particular were experiencing. Like Relin was going to be a suicide bomber. Yeah. Like this is a man who gonna has himself. Um, no other alternatives. Mm -hmm. um, and he's their is, leader. He's their leader. And he was going to uh, take himself out. It was exactly the same as Ollie coming in in Trickster's Choice, where she is stepping into this incredibly complicated historical situation <laughs> and saying, Well, I know what we should do. Mm -hmm. And like, all y'all slaves should calm down mm -hmm. and like, don't have an uprising. Like, that's dangerous and that's not very nice. Like, yeah. you need to just be. Uh, be polite right. to your oppressors. And any kind of, I mean, again, classic problem in the United States is that the uh, the movement that's made towards, especially like historically with slavery ending and like Jim Crow and the mm -hmm. migration of African-Americans throughout the country um, is, yeah, they were always being met with like, okay, white people know what's going on, so they're going to tell you what to do. And like so little, if any, input taken mm -hmm. from the black people who were the oppressed, mm -hmm. who were the oppressed, who had their own like stories and histories and relationships and like that white people didn't understand at all and weren't interested in, which is how, you know, when slavery ended horrible human rights abuses like including just newer and newer forms of slavery have yeah. perpetuated to yeah. this day yes yeah get off my anyway so that's now. why that's important <laughs> um, to talk about 
Uh, yeah. So, okay. So my, I have a few like larger things that I want to talk about in um, my impressions of the book. One was right away. I was like, I feel like DJ McHale writes um, scripts. I feel like he writes movies mm. or TV episodes because it's so action driven and just the sense. way that everything is laid out is um, like the character intent is very naked. It's very on display, but that's also because of the format because it's being told through Bobby, Bobby's diary entries that mm-hmm. we are just, you know, reading verbatim. Yeah. Um, and then also a third person omniscient perspective when we're with Mark and Courtney. Right. Um, so the, we're also getting all of their thoughts. Um, yeah. But Bobby's sharing his thoughts himself, whereas the narrator is telling us what Mark and Courtney are both thinking in every situation. And it's super interesting because it's rare that we get Bobby from the perspective of the narrator right. rather than Bobby just Bobby speaking telling through us his own words. What Bobby is. Bobby being um, the narrator. Right, exactly. So I, I think there's some interesting, yeah, like narrative stuff happening that's, mm-hmm. to be honest, a little hard to follow sometimes. It also means we get a <laughs> lot of like teen angst yeah. Um, yeah. where, yeah, there's we're getting all of uh, Bobby's uh, concerns, but also his like, oh, hot lady. <laughs> pretty yes, funny which, yeah he's a 14 um, year old and and i keep i keep using that voice because that's yeah. what the audiobook narrator sounds yeah. like um oh, little bobby but I'm, I'm curious if the audio narrator if he ages bobby up like yeah keeps, i bet he will about that too yeah um, yeah, and that this is also a way in which this is written for a different audience than most of the books we cover. Um, it is action-packed and fast-paced. The writing style is a lot less important than the narrative just barreling forward. Than the <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, than plot. And I looked up DJ McHale, and he is a TV writer. You were right. Um, he worked on some amazing '90s shows, including. Ghostwriter, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, and he also wrote, he also wrote and directed this amazing looking directed TV adaptation. I guess adaptation of the theme ride Tower of Terror, which stars Kirsten Dunst as a little girl and Steve Gutenberg. So definitely need to check that out. I'm I'm floored. Yeah. So so that I think pri- yeah prior that to the series total sense. He worked on some of these like iconic kids TV shows. That makes sense because I always kind of wondered how I I had never heard of him and he like mm-hmm. this series was like such a fun like w- the world building is so good, especially like for kids. Yeah. Like it's, I, I keep saying accessible because yeah, it, like it's you very said, it, it is more sophisticated concepts that are made accessible, and that's reflected to us by Mark and Courtney at one point where they're talking about okay, how do we present this information to the world, and do we present it to the world? And they get into some fun territory where they get into like some conspiracy theories and stuff, and they're like, well, if the government knew about this, you know. No, either this is going to become 
like known by all, massively discussed, or more likely we're going to be like put in a hole somewhere. And they'll like blow up the gates <laughs> or like go through them. Or and, yeah, start and new other worlds. Exploring it. And this is going to be like a Roswell situation. I don't, I don't trust Americans um, to behave responsibly. Yeah. In, like, and like, and they, and they talk about how, you know, the man wants to keep everyone in like a state of complacent ignorance. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so of course, I, like that follows. I really liked that. Um, it's because the concepts are so complicated as they're grappling with the understanding of like knowing about the existence of flumes changes literally everything we know about the fabric of reality. Right, the multiverse, the fact <laughs> yeah. that the multiverse is like that's going to have some ramifications for all of us. Um, but then there's also the idea that uh, Bobby's family snapped out of existence um which is also like very dark for a child to read about like your family is just gone and also that they like weren't real necessarily um yeah i I can't remember if they discuss it anymore as time goes on and maybe like at the end of the series which i didn't finish that you find out more about that yeah and i mean you know taking each book on its own as we typically do for Mm -hmm. this pod um it's it's pretty serious stuff yeah yeah yeah, definitely. Um, so then the other bigger thing that I wanted to talk about was I have been thinking a lot lately about genre, specifically the fantasy genre and the way a fantasy looks when it is packaged for a more mainstream audience. Mm. Um, and I started thinking about this because I watched The Green Knight, mm. um, which I so highly great. recommend. It's a polarizing movie um, from it's what weird. I've seen. It's pretty strange. Um, and it's funny that I'm using it as an example of fantasy packaged for a mainstream audience. But in terms... <laughs> but but it is. I mean, it is. This is a big budget Big studio. I mean, A24 has become a significant yeah. studio. I kind of um, feel with, like... With famous actors um, and like being definitely marketed to a mass audience. Um, but also, what does fantasy look like when it's being created for people who aren't just fantasy lovers to enjoy? Mm-hmm. And I always think about this because I feel like up until very recently, fantasy was so seen as so uncool and undesirable in media. I think Lord of the Rings did a really important thing to I bring think it Lord of the Rings opened the door. Mainstream. And then I think Game of Thrones is what just, you know, blasted everything away because one of, one of those so many people watched that show who had never encountered fantasy truly before outside of like you know, the stuff that everyone encounters as a child, maybe, um, but and never it, like explored it on their own. Yeah. And I just think that fantasy is often viewed as um, like a lesser genre by a lot of people. Yeah. And they don't see the ways in which it is just as valid as art. So, yeah, they're I really like, limiting themselves. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is like one of the purposes of this pod. Like, we want to show our deep love for, I mean, talk about if fantasy is already kind of ridiculed, then why a fantasy, especially why a fantasy that is beloved by young women, because yes. teenage girls are the people that everybody loves to poop on. Yeah, and any, any see media. See as like less human in a lot of ways any media that's like f- clearly targeted b- to Less and valuable. enjoyed by yeah young girls is, is seen in- as derivative yeah. dribble yep yep 
So, okay. So getting back to my point, watching the green Knight, I was thinking about this and feeling very excited seeing, um, and like parsing out the ways that they decided to tell that story. And the direction they went in was being very, um, like going deep into like mysticism and making the visuals super trippy. The visuals so are that, so cool. So they can say, they can have a scene like coming across a group of migrating giants and have it feel natural to the viewer as opposed to feeling like this is too much like this is silly because I think the reason people fear fantasy is because they can't fully immerse themselves in the world so everything comes off to them as like outlandish really ridiculous because they can't believe it but you have to be willing to like you have to relax into it it's not something that you can like bulldoze over yeah so I was so I was thinking about the way that the Green Knight used that wrapping as sort of a way to present this story that I think genuinely a lot of people have never read um, Gawain and the Green Knight um, or really knew much about, but it has so many just wild elements. Like it's, it's very cool. It's very weird. And so then I felt like the movie was true to that. So anyway, (laughs) getting back to why (laughs) the Merchant of Death made me think about this. Um, Because I think this is probably the most mainstream directed book that we've maybe read for the podcast. That's a good point. Um, It it feels very aware of its audience, not in a bad way necessarily. I feel like this probably encouraged a lot of young kids to get into reading. It feels like a first book that you can actually seek out, read for fun, and then be like, I see why reading is enjoyable. I I think you're right. And like, I feel swept along by this. Like, I want to find out what happens next entry point into exactly yeah. yeah and then this whole series where the structure is very exciting where you go to a different world in each book like that's so cool yeah, and you're you get being to led like by these travelers and discover these these new realities yeah totally find has... out what the quigs are <laughs> <laughs> yeah right that's... what form do the quigs take yeah sharks or dogs the i don't know are the scariest to me um but uh it also has a bit of a video game feel where it's like the different levels yes. are in these completely different environments and um, geographical landscapes, ecosystems. And it gets harder and more intense Mm -hmm. as they go on, as things get like more dire. Yeah. Uh, That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I mean, if this is the least dire book, it's still like, okay. So these are some of the ways in which I feel like it's made mainstream. We've talked about the fast-paced action and the kind of TV writing feel of a lot of the book. It's also incredibly violent, um, especially for a a YA, like a younger YA book. I think the the target reading level for this is like, it's like a little past middle grade, but but it's pretty young. And it's very Um, violent, you're right. I I think like 12... Age, ages 12. Okay, it says 10 to 14 inside the front cover. Okay. Um, which, I, who knows what that ever means and, like, who creates those labels. Rating systems are ridiculous. Well, yeah, especially because in the... And flawed in so many ways. Yeah, and now in the internet age, like, kids can get to yeah. whatever they want. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, okay, so a 2002 10-year-old is reading this. Um, they are going to be, like pretty hooked by the plot machine then there are these like really serious distressing moments of striking violence um of great peril 
of significant peril. Yeah, the danger level is so high for the main character as mm-hmm. well as everyone around him at all times. Um, the, you know, all seeing, all knowing figure, Uncle Press, is captured and separated mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. Um, then there's also a lot of moments of the characters taking the time to reflect on like how wild the events that are taking place are. So the reader is also siding with them and being like, yeah, this is wild. Um, Then the diary perspective, I think also really plays a role because everything is being explained to the reader rather than us experiencing it in real time with the protagonist. So there's like less room for confusion. And he like breaks off into ponderings sometimes. Right. And it's his journal. Well, and in this weird way, I feel like the book is a very, it's a very easy read for a young reader because there isn't like even really room for your own analysis because everything is being very clearly told to Nothing's you about hiding. Like, how the characters feel yeah. about what's happening and exactly why the things are happening the mm-hmm. way that they are. Yeah. Um, yes. So then the other, okay. Then the other piece that I thought was funny and almost like a disservice Mm. to the audience is just I couldn't help but have moments when I was taken out because of how bad the dialogue was. Yeah, the dialogue can be pretty bad sometimes. It really read like an adult trying to talk like a teenager. Which again is kind of common for the era. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Yeah, and throughout, I mean all media like this is always a problem it's it's rare to find a book where teens do talk normally yeah. i think one of the reasons why this is very noticeable here is because this is one of the fewer contemporary setting books that we've read too and also american settings um and and teen culture youth culture moves so quickly and mm-hmm. generations like what that means as far as what your childhood was like are so small now like yeah grace is three years older than me and patrick is three years younger mm-hmm. and all three of us have like a different relationship with the internet yeah really radically different yeah experiences three years apart with the internet which like because of the time in at which we were born as well because by the time i was eight we had a computer mm-hmm. with aol that was like a desktop in the house because it was when we moved to yeah willowbrook yeah. And yeah. some of it is also like our family's economic circumstances yeah. changing too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a combination of factors. Mm-hmm. When this book was written, I was 14. You know, I was, I would have been talking this way, but I wasn't. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a problem when an adult is writing teen conversation, Mm -hmm. especially if they don't have kids at that age. So they have like no exposure to it whatsoever, which, and, but I think this is also a piece of like the mainstreamness of it all too. You're right. That was like so common in mainstream stuff for kids to just talk like, like weird stunted adults. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That are also like very id driven. It's just very children. Strange. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay, so I think that's enough <laughs> discussion of our general feelings and the themes of the book. Um, and let's let's get through some nice little segments. Yeah. So pretend food. Pretend food. I have the book open to the one like notable pretend food passage, I feel like. Um 
you can please let me know if there's what I'm forgetting, but I didn't write anything down. So I really wanted to read this aloud so y'all can get a feel for what the writing of the book <laughs> is like. Okay, I'm gonna do it my best to do it like the audiobook narrator Good, as well. Okay. So we're in Bobby's diary entry right now. When I dug the watch out of my pack, I also found the extra surprise you put in there, Mark. You are the best. You know how much I love Milky Ways. And the one you stuck in that pack was the most delicious treat in the history of treats. Thanks. I even offered a piece to Lore. I thought that was pretty nice of me, since I didn't have much hope of finding another Milky Way around these parts. She took the bite-sized piece, popped it cautiously into her mouth, and instantly spit it out. What a waste. <laughs> Guess they don't have candy bars on her territory either. Jesus Christ, Bobby. <laughs> so anyway, that's just a, just a taste, wink, wink, of uh, what you have to enjoy from reading this book. Um, that's pretty funny. Yeah, there's not, there's not a lot of food. Um, I do love the little Milky Way surprise, um, which also feels weirdly like product I know, right? <laughs> Milky like, Ways sponsored by <laughs> my Ma- favorite Mars candy. candy company. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, you know, it's one of those books where like the action is so breakneck that there is not a lot of time for. There's time for diary writing, but not a ton of time for eating. Yeah, um, it's very like you know they eat what they need to. They're to on the propel road. your energy. Yeah. yeah, I feel like there was something. Oh, okay. This was a problem with the book that we do need to talk about. Um, the fat shaming is I was, really, I was really, really going to really be bad. like, I'll wait till the end of the pretend food segment to be a bummer. Yeah, but. that fits here because that's the other part of the book that really focuses on food is the queen of the Bedouin. Um, did they say a Bedouin? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the queen of it's that spelled group. With double O's. Ooh, one. So that's why it's like, how on earth are you supposed to? I don't know. (laughs) Um, The queen is characterized as um, fat because she is bad. Exactly. It's that, um, which I feel like is throughout history has been a very common depiction of um, like in order to vilify rich people, mm-hmm. which like there's other reasons that are there's valid. There's so much other fertile ground that we can them. dig into. But it's truly. always it's always like oh, fat equals greedy, yes, and evil. Therefore, yep, she's shown as constantly eating and also being disgusting because she's eating, and the way she's eating is disgusting. And, and the narrative and, rhetoric about mm-hmm. her is brutal. It's horrible yeah. the way that Bobby talks about her body, um, and also. Anytime she does anything, all he focuses on is her evil fatness. Yeah, like exactly. it's really, really bad. Like she's um, portrayed, yeah, as disgusting the, because is, of her f- that she's fat, right? And and dare I say, if DJ McHale wrote this book today, he would do it very differently. This is a very two thousand two yeah. approach yeah, to the way you talk about fat phobia. Yeah, at that time, about people's bodies. Yeah. Um, but it was really jarring. Like as soon as she showed up, I was like, oh no. I think it's like some of the worst fat phobia we've seen in all of the books we've read. It was horrible. Yeah. The worst I would say. It's never been the reason a character is evil. It's never been this, um, 
super lazy and awful shortcut of characterization Mm -hmm. uh, of saying like here you can see that because they are fat they are horrible right exactly and especially because she seems very um almost kind of brainwashed like Mm -hmm. groomed into this and very mentally manipulating her yeah she seems very immature Mm -hmm. like it's not she doesn't seem to have that much agency. So Mm -mm. that feels even meaner that Mm -hmm. it's like, she's evil because she's fat. It's like what on earth has even gone on in her life? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which, yeah, those were the other like big food focus moments was, was her eating and every appearance that she makes and Bobby like repulsed by her again and again. It's very telling that once she, the queen is meeting with Relin to bring their cultures together and end the slavery um, and St. Dean has left, that there is no discussion of her body at that point. Like it's so clearly just used to characterize her as the cruel despot. And it just, it, it ticked me off too because it was like, okay, this boy, he's 14. He's a turbo athlete. Right. He's very physically yeah. active. Some toxic I've, stuff going on there. Well, I've seen what, what kids in that situation eat like, and it's pretty gross. Agree. You know? So it's like, who <laughs> is he to be judging someone else for yes. being a glutton just because they're fat? You know? Well, right, and and I say it's some toxic stuff going on there because he's deep in a place where he's going to have been fed all these unhealthy ways to look yeah. at different people's bodies and their correlated like health and value because he belongs to a lot of mm-hmm. privilege, including groups. his own. I mean, he's going to have his own difficulties with mm-hmm. um, viewing his own body in a healthy way, right? As yeah, a, and like, a child athlete. And like the conditioning that you get as part of those privileged groups, like mm-hmm. encouraging the uh, superiority mm-hmm. of those groups right. is very, you know, othering to yeah. people who are not in them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we had just decided we're going to skip romantic realism, but <laughs> my, I want to make a prediction for the series. <laughs> I would think it would feel natural for Mark and Courtney to be together because and they Laura have so and much, Bobby to come together. They have so much in common. They have such community mm-hmm. over this thing. Yeah. For, yeah. And then Bobby and Laura, same deal. Right. They're, they're partners the way that Courtney and Mark are partners. So right. I can't remember, but it would make sense if like that's the way that yeah. the romances go. That the lines fall. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone has to pair up and get married, obviously. <laughs> they don't have to pair up and get married. It's more no, like... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying like, you know, third option. You don't have to be with anyone that course. you work with. Of, <laughs> that's of course. Okay. Yes. Um, that's okay. But it's more like... You know, I love romance storylines in books. I usually tap out when they get married and start having babies because then to me it's like a lot less interesting than the, you know, developing romance parts. But yeah, it's definitely a little mad being like, "Mm, when's there going to be more action? Of one, little Madeline comes. I remember being kind of ticked off that it starts out with with a kiss, and then there's nothing else. Nothing. (laughs) You're gonna tease me like that? I thought this was gonna be a sexy book. There's a lot no, out decidedly there. unsexy as Obviously, a whole. Yeah. But yeah, I do I just remembered that feeling of being like, mm, they tricked me. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think until our discussion about how awkward it must have been for Courtney to read Bobby's description of their kiss and yeah. then for 
Mark to also read it and know that Courtney was reading it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Weird stuff. Tough. Yeah. Okay. And I think we'll also, in terms of animals, just like yeah. animals in this book, there's a poor dog who gets disappeared. Marley. Oh, yeah. Right? Marley. Marley. Yeah. Um, so we Golden don't actually Fever, right? meet Marley. Yeah. Because Bobby keeps having these like idyllic moments. Can't or, you know, being Marley. like, I just want to throw the ball for Marley. My dog. <laughs> and he, Marley was the last like person, <laughs> creature that he saw before yeah. uh, kissing Courtney and then heading out. Um, <laughs> And then there are the quigs, which are just like spirits that can take any, but they're always animals, right? Yes. They always take animal form and the animal form is appropriate to the territory mm. because like it makes sense. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that on second earth, there are scary dogs, mm-hmm. um, saber tooth creatures on yeah, Dendron. Whatever fits the landscape. Sharks. Best. Yeah. And there's... Later on, there's, um, I think there are crocodiles on like a jungle pl- um, territory. Mm. But yeah, they always have the scary yellow eyes and they're always like giant. Some kind of predator. Terrifying versions of a, uh, you know, they're based on some kind of creature that we mm-hmm. would be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're interesting. Mm-hmm. I like the I like the quigs as gatekeepers. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So that's that's it for animals. Just like animals yeah. in this book. So let's pick our badass ladies. I'm going to give my badass lady to Lore. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel her frustration in this mm-hmm. book. And when I was younger, I was more pissed at her. Like, why are you being so hard on Bobby? Mm-hmm. But as an adult, it's more like, wow, I totally get why. Did you see Bobby as a sympathetic character earlier in the book when reading it when you were young? I did. Hmm. Because he was the main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be rooting for him. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But as an adult reading it, I'm I was much more like I totally get where yeah, Lore's coming from I was here. So put off by Bobby for most of the book. I yeah, and I know like how much better he gets. So that was probably part of it too yeah. now as an adult. But I'm pretty sure that as a kid I really, really sympathized with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but now it was like, shut up, Bobby. <laughs> like, come on, everyone else is in the same situation. <laughs> um, and uh, I rate Lure uh, the center of strength of this team and confidence and ability to get things done despite being in the same wild, mind-breaking kind of situation that all the travelers are in and having the same uh, relatively minimal amount of experience as a traveler she and bobby are really at the same place but mm-hmm. he's like a floundering fool where, whereas she is kicking booties yeah yeah my baddest lady is courtney chetwind we've talked a lot about why we love courtney she's a fully realized character rather than a stock female sidekick to the male leads um, I also really love that she plays on the boys' teams, and hopefully that shows that this school district is open to trans kids being on the appropriate teams. My rating for her is a Long Elegant Legs catalog. Long Elegant Legs is a bizarre mailing that was sent to me as a teen. I was a tall, skinny girl. It was very, very hard for me to find clothes that fit me. Um, shoes as well. God, I should give her the rating of an appropriately sized pair of shoes. Um, I am a women's 12 and a half, which 
in the aughts was hard. It's gotten a lot it's easier. It's impossible. It's gotten a lot easier. I remember now that we have the internet. You went to a shop in San Francisco that had very large shoes because it was, it was probably where drag queens could mm-hmm. go to get women's yeah. shoes. And I remember you they had so beautiful uh, drag shoes yeah. <laughs> that came in my size. It yeah. was really exciting. Yeah. Um, yes. So a long, elegant legs catalog came. It was like, <laughs> Cool pants for middle-aged ladies. Sponsor us, Long Elegant Legs. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I did order a pair at one point. Um, Yep, so my rating for Courtney is uh, plenty of long-legged pants for tall teens. Yes. Okay, so that wraps it up for The Merchant of Death by DJ McHale. Thank you so much for listening to this long episode. We had a lot to say, as we always do. Um, We are trying to get back on a regular schedule, so we should have another episode out in a week. So there will be two out in October. So look out for it. And that episode will be about Archer's Goon by Diana Wynne-Jones. DWJ. Getting back into some good old DWJ. So don't miss it subscribe like and subscribe if you'd like to follow us you can check out our socials on instagram at dragon babies podcast twitter at dragon babies pod and our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com where you can find uh, any photos or covers that we mentioned during the episode some notes some other fun stuff related to the discussion so check it out yeah and Madeline also has an art Instagram at Pig and Doodles. P-I-G-N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S. And I post, yeah, a lot of art. I love to draw. Um, it's a really, it's become a really important part uh, of like managing my bipolar because creative expression can be super important as part of that. Um, and I like to draw spooky, creepy, weird um, nature stuff. So come on and check it out. Give her a follow. And we'll talk to you soon. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. Until next time. Farewell.